Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening, and I pray God's Spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. I want to start this morning uh, with a story. When Tammy and I hit our 10-year wedding anniversary in 2015, we, uh, we celebrated with a trip to Hawaii, which was amazing. We were supposed to go last year to celebrate our 15th and then, you know, COVID. So uh, it was about a nine-hour flight, unfortunately, from Chicago, where we lived at the time, to Oahu, which is where we were headed. So one of the best parts of this trip was that in addition to getting to go on the trip at all, we were also gifted first-class tickets, which was amazing, right? And so, so in addition to more space on a long flight, which I loved, I was so excited because I thought first-class tickets mean something else. It means I finally get access to the airport lounge. Now, I'd never been in an airport lounge before, so in my mind, I had turned it into this like mythical space somewhere between like Narnia and heaven, and so I was pretty fired up about this. Tammy could basically care less. But, but we arrived at the airport, and we uh, made our way through security, then collected ourselves from the assault that that can be. And then uh, we headed toward this magical land that we call the airport lounge. And so we finally find our way to the, to the front desk, and uh, I pull out the credential that I believed qualified me for access <laughs> to this space. I pulled out my first-class ticket. And to my great disappointment and then embarrassment, uh, I was informed by the intendant that first-class tickets only qualify you for the lounge when you are traveling internationally. So, so all of a sudden, I'm like walking away like this kid looking over a fence at an awesome party he was not invited to. And so we make our way back to the gate, and then I just proceeded to pout because of how persecuted I was. And uh, I want you to know I understand what a first-world problem this was. But here's why I bring this up. Each of us has a tendency to rely on deficient credentials for access to Christ. Each of us has a tendency, every single one of us, every human who has ever lived, has a tendency to rely on deficient credentials for access to Christ. See, we mistakenly believe that it is our goodness that gets us in. And so sometimes we obey a particular set of rules or we keep like a particular code that we believe qualifies us for access to Christ. Now the rules and the code may vary for all of us, but this is why some of us go to church. This is why some of us try to be kind and to do the right thing. This is why some of us sacrifice time and money to both serve and to give. This is why some of us practice spiritual habits like prayer or scripture reading. So again, the expressions may vary and change, but more often than not, we view these things as the credentials by which we qualify or we stay qualified for acceptance, forgiveness, and relationship with Jesus. And the problem is, there is only a single credential, Scripture says, qualifies us for relationship with Christ. And this morning... 
the Apostle Paul is going to make this crystal clear for us. And so as we come to our text this morning, I want to invite you throughout the entirety of this to really do a fresh assessment of the basis of your faith. So rather than presume upon past assumptions, I want to invite you to take a fresh look at what Paul set his hope on and then invites all of us to do the same as well. So if you have a Bible this morning, why don't you open it or a mobile app or whatever you're going to read on and go to Philippians chapter 3. We are in a series called Dear Discouraged, making our way verse by verse through Paul's letter to the Philippians. And we have come to chapter three. We are going to look at the first 11 verses this morning. And I want to call the message this morning, the credential for knowing Christ, the credential for knowing Christ. So uh, if you don't have scriptures this morning, turn your eyes to the screen and read this along with me. This is Philippians chapter three, again, beginning in verse one, Paul writes, in addition, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. All right, now pause there. So notice again that Paul returns here to his central encouraging theme in verse one. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Now, Paul's again, not commanding a feeling. He's commanding an activity. To rejoice means to verbalize with praise and singing. So regardless of circumstances, Christians can and should always give God praise because of who he is and because of what he's done. Namely, that we have the privilege of both knowing and being known by the creator, savior, and sustainer of the universe. And because of this, one of the most consistent concerns we see in Paul's writing is that followers of Jesus always remember the means by which we know and we are known by Jesus. Paul wants us to have clarity regarding the credentials that qualify us for relationship with Christ. And so Paul calls this reminder that he's going to give to them and give to us, he calls it a safeguard. And so I want you to think about Paul's words here, these 11 verses we're going to look at. I want you to think about them kind of like a safety feature for your faith. Now, many of us can probably remember the days before vehicles had all of the safety features that they have now. For instance, like, can you believe that some vehicles didn't even used to have a seatbelt? Like, how crazy is that? There was a time when the people working in the automotive industry were thinking things like, well, you have doors, like, what else could you possibly need to keep you inside of this thing? That was like the singular safety feature. But newer vehicles today, they come with all kinds of these crazy safety features. Tammy Subaru, for instance, has this feature that warns you every time you even like slightly depart the lane that you're in. Like you could be deliberate about it and it's still just like gonna give you this annoying loud beep. And the truth is while the sound is kind of annoying, it is a very amazing feature because that sound warns you that you have crossed into territory that puts you at risk of danger. And that's what Paul intends to do here. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And then he proceeds to remind them regarding the true and the false grounds or credentials by which that rejoicing is made possible. And so he starts by reminding us what it's not. So make a note of this. Look at verse uh, verse two. He says, watch out for the dogs, which if you're wondering, like, was that insulting? Then it was. It's never been like an encouraging thing to be called a dog. Okay. Okay. Watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision 
The ones who worship by the Spirit of God boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. All right, so apart from maybe a little bit of historical context, this sounds like a very strange warning. And so here's what's happening. As people like Paul were making their way in the first century from city to city, starting new Christian churches, other people began to come behind them and to tell these primarily new non-Jewish people that um, if they are gonna really follow Jesus and be accepted by God, if they're gonna truly be accepted by God, they also have to adhere to the Jewish laws, specifically circumcision for men. And so if you aren't familiar with the Old Testament background, um, all the circumcision talk in the Bible can be very confusing, right? You're like, this book is really hung up on circumcision. And so here's what's happening. Back in Genesis chapter 17, if you were to go read that later today, God made a covenant with a man named Abraham. And he promised Abraham that he would be his God and that he was going to grow a great nation from his offspring. And that nation would become Israel. And as a sign of Israel's commitment or covenant to be God's people, their men were circumcised. And so it was an outward sign, albeit a painful one, of their covenant with God. The problem is, this was a covenant for a different time and a different people. Jesus ushered in a new covenant, and it was no longer a covenant that demanded this type of rule-keeping to be right with God. And so Paul was warning them against, and he would warn us against, any, any, any religious legalism that says that we have to bow to certain rules in order to be made right with God. And so instead, Paul says, we are the circumcision, which is actually going to be our new mantra at Ridgeline. We have t-shirts coming. We have stickers for your cars. They just say, we are the circumcision. It's going to be on our website. People want to know what makes Ridgeline distinct. We are the circumcision. That's what, just kidding. If you have kids in here, they're like, what is happening right now? So you're going to have some awkward conversations on the way home. But listen, all joking, I've been so excited for that joke all week. I have to tell you. (laughs) So all joking aside, Paul was saying, we, we are the true people of God. Not people who rely on their external rule keeping to be made right with God. Paul says the true people of God worship him by the spirit of God. Meaning that God's own spirit has awakened our hearts and our minds to respond to Jesus in faith so that we can boast in his finished work and we do not put confidence in the flesh. And so I want you to come back to this metaphor of credentials again. If you were asked for the credentials that qualify you to be right with God, what would you say? Now Paul only had one answer. And that answer was Jesus. Jesus lived a life that perfectly fulfilled God's law because no human had ever been able to. He then paid the price for every infraction against that law by sacrificing his perfect life on the cross. Then he rose from the dead three days later and he offered everyone transforming relationship with him through faith. And so I want you to ask yourself, What rules do I believe, listen carefully to this question, what rules do I believe are prerequisite to be made right with God? Let me ask that again. What rules 
do you believe are prerequisite to be right with God? Now, my guess is none of us would say circumcision, but that's just because that's an outdated rule for our culture. But the truth is there are still many rules that we view as prerequisite to being right with God. Many, many, many people still believe that things like alcohol and dancing and R-rated movies and women wearing two-piece bathing suits disqualify a person from being right with God. Many people still believe that in order to be made right with God, in order to be right with God, I continue to hear just this crazy legalistic nonsense about how you can't be a Christian and vote Democrat. As if the tone and the tendencies of our modern Republican Party are so much more righteous. Furthermore, the vast majority of teaching on sexuality would lead me to believe that most Christians believe that being straight is a prerequisite to being right with God. And so let me put this as plainly as I know how. Paul would say that it is evil to make anything other than faith in Jesus a prerequisite to be right with God. Anything. Rule keeping never, ever makes you right with God. That's what we mean at Ridgeline when we say no religion, just Jesus. We mean that there is nothing we can do to earn our way to God. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus does it for us. And as if to underline his point, Paul runs the list of his own credentials that he puts no confidence in. Look at verse four. So he's just said, do not put confidence in the flesh. And then in verse four, he says, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. So can I just summarize for you what Paul's saying here? It basically is saying like Paul was a baller Jew. Like he was like a super Jew. If first century Jews were the Avengers, Paul was Iron Man for sure. Paul's like the LeBron James or the Michael Jordan of Judaism. He's the Beatles of Judaism. And this is why his warning not to put confidence in the flesh is worthy of our consideration. Because in his flesh, he was as close to impeccable as humanly possible. And the truth is, if Paul wasn't such an expert in the flesh, his words wouldn't hold the same authority. I'll give you an example. If you've been paying any attention to the Olympics, then you most likely heard about the controversy surrounding gymnast Simone Biles' decision to sub out mid-competition this week. And so apparently, she started to suffer from what the gymnastics community calls the twisties, which is not a great name, but it's gymnastics. What did we expect, okay? So the twisties is when an athlete somehow loses the ability to tell which way is up and which way is down when they are in the air. And so if you think about the notion of that, I mean, that's just terrifying. And so it's this terrifying possibility of injury and then obviously of, of losing if you can't compete with confidence. 
And the backlash against her decision was astonishing this week. People called her weak. People called her a disappointment to her country. People called her a coward. And listen to this, the deputy attorney general of Texas referred to her as a selfish, childish, national embarrassment. That's a grown man said that. Now, aside from the fact that these responses are inhumane and they are heartless and they are absent of any empathy, you know what else I find so fascinating? None of these people criticizing her are gymnasts. None of them. In fact, for the most part, they're all non-athletic white men who couldn't do a somersault if they had help. That's where this criticism is coming from. And so my point is, critique lacks authority when it comes from someone who doesn't have any. And this is why Paul and his words here are so influential for us. Because Paul's not some talking head, religious commentator with no firsthand experience. Paul had built a life filled with credentials that give him tremendous confidence in his flesh. Yet he experienced Jesus in a way that cut all that confidence down to nothing. And so let me ask you another uncomfortable question this morning. Where, not are you, but where are you, where are you prone to pride in your spiritual practice? Because it's all of us. Where are you prone to pride in your spiritual practice? Maybe it's something to do with your devotional life, like you're just super on top of that. Maybe it's your generosity. You give freely in a way that is very, very challenging for most people. Maybe it's in your acts of service. You're just constantly willing to pour yourself out in service to others. Maybe it's in your love and and compassion. So I want you to think about where do you tend to find pride in your own spiritual practice, and then I want you to really wrap your heart around this. God opposes pride even when the source of it is something that is spiritually good. God opposes pride even when the source of it is something that is spiritually good. And you know, the truth is with with, with Paul, it wasn't just his religious credentials that he counted as loss. It was everything. Look at verse eight. He goes on, he says, more than that, so more than all these amazing acts of the flesh that he had been so proficient in, more than that, he says, I also can't consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Now, in the eyes of his culture, Paul had sacrificed deeply to follow Jesus, sacrificed in a way that most of us will never experience. Because prior to his life-changing encounter with Jesus, Paul was very important in the eyes of his culture. Paul had power. He held a place of religious and social prominence. 
Paul had an educational and vocational pedigree that brought him the respect and the admiration of the people around him. But when Paul met Jesus and chose to follow him, he lost all of that. And his current position of writing this letter while he is imprisoned and possibly awaiting his own execution was the peak of his loss. And so here's what's amazing. When Paul compared everything that he had lost to what he had gained in his relationship with Jesus, the loss wasn't even worth counting. In fact, Paul says that he counted all that as dung. Now, in Paul's culture, that word that we translate into English as dung, it was a vulgar word. We don't translate it into English that way because it would probably offend too many Christians to have it in the Bible. But the closest English equivalent of that word would probably be something closer to what my kids call the S word. So Paul uses attention-grabbing language to make a point. And his point is to say that spiritual and cultural credentials are trash compared to truly knowing and being known by Jesus. Paul would say, it doesn't matter what I lose if I gain Christ. And he says that as someone who had lost everything in the world's eyes. And so, if that's all that truly matters, that has significant implications for us. All Paul wanted was the true righteousness that came from God through faith in Christ. And so, because today seems to be a day of convicting and uncomfortable questions, let me ask you another one. What actually matters most in your life? Think about that. What matters most to you in your life? Maybe it's feeling important. Maybe it's making your parents proud. Maybe it's achieving some measure of success as defined by our culture. Maybe it's to have an ever-growing income. Maybe it's power. And if you're not sure how to, how to figure it out, here, here's another question to consider. What tends to take priority for you over being with Jesus? And if you're like me, the answer to that question is a lot. And so it would seem that Paul's trying to help us see that until relationship with Jesus is our highest desire, it will never be our chief pursuit. And so Paul's desire informed his pursuit. Look at verse 10. He says, my goal is to know him. He's speaking of Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. So here we get this like view into Paul's life goal. Paul wanted to know Jesus. And, and understand, he's not talking about knowing Jesus in a merely informational sense. He's not saying that his goal is to know everything he can about Jesus. He wanted to know him in the experiential sense. In fact, the exact same word that we translate right here as know is also used in scripture to, de to describe the experience of sexual intimacy in marriage. Paul wanted to actually experience true and genuine relationship with Jesus. 
And if you're here and you feel like that doesn't even fully compute for me, that's the problem. Because by and large, we have turned our faith into this mental ascent to understand things about God rather than to actually know him personally. And I want you to see in this verse that Paul, he wants to know like everything about Jesus. So notice that first he wanted to experience the power of Jesus' resurrection. Now I think so far we're like all tracking with that. We're totally on board with that. Who among us does not want to experience the same power by which Jesus got up from the grave? All of us are like, I I would love that. I'd love to know more of that power. But notice Paul didn't want to just treat Jesus like a means to an end because he also wanted to experience the fellowship of his suffering. And this is where most of us start to like put on the brakes just a little bit. We want what we see as the benefit of Jesus' power, but we're not so much interested in the unique fellowship that comes as we suffer with Jesus to see his kingdom come in this world. And furthermore, Paul wanted that fellowship to conform him to Christ's death. And so Paul wanted to entirely cease from existing for himself and to exclusively exist for the glory of God and the good of those around him. That was Paul's goal. And I think it's important for us to contrast his goal with our own. So let me ask you another question. What is your goal for the time that God gives you on this earth? What is your goal we all have a finite amount of time. Like, don't, don't be the one person who thinks that death's not coming for you. It comes for us all. <laughs> Literally, by the end of this service, not to be like super Debbie Downer, but I told you we're not a happy, clappy church. By the end of this service, you're going to be closer to death than when you came in. Let's pray. Just kidding. We're not done. <laughs> what is your goal for the time that God gives you on this earth. And the truth is we probably have a lot of goals. Again, a meaningful career, a decent income, maybe a healthy marriage for some of you, maybe a good family, some close friends. And again, those are all good, normal, and noble goals. The question is, where does knowing Jesus factor in? And the truth is, We were created for this goal to know Jesus and be known by him to sit at the top of our priorities. But oftentimes, it just falls somewhere near the bottom of our list. And so let me just lay out what I believe Paul's big idea is this morning. The point that he's trying to convey through all of this. It's it's this, knowing Jesus through faith is life's highest goal which is so helpful in cutting through the noise of everything that we are bombarded with day after day after day all day, of what's important and what matters and why you're here and what you should give your time to, what you should give your attention to. Paul would say knowing Jesus through faith is life's highest goal. And so if you're here this morning and that that question regarding your goal for the time God gives you on this earth is overwhelming, because you're not really sure 
this should encourage you. You don't have to dream up God's goal for your life. He has done that for you. It's to know him more deeply each day through faith. But the truth is, the clarity with which Paul states this goal probably overwhelms most of us for another reason. It overwhelms most of us because it causes us to realize how far we actually are from where we need to be. So I want you to know, and I I really do, I, I try to work hard as a teacher to try and make our pursuit of Jesus together accessible. That matters to me. To just come week after week and just overwhelm people with this impossibly high standard to live up to is not winning. And I would say it's not faithfulness to the scriptures. Most of the time, what we need is small, accessible steps that we can take to know Jesus more deeply each day. But I want you to know the truth is, many of us are in need of a massive overhaul to our lives. Massive. Because many of us are consumed by everything in life other than Jesus. And so knowing him barely gets honorable mention in many of our lives. And the truth is, we have relegated knowing Jesus to coming to church maybe once or two, one or two times a month. And we live in Utah. So if you're not hiking, you come to church. If you're not camping, you come to church. If you're not skiing, you come to church. If you're not brunching, you come to church. If you're not too tired from the night before, you come to church. Maybe, maybe we crack a Bible open once in a while. Maybe we throw up a prayer when we find ourselves in the midst of some crisis. And then we wonder why we have such a hard time relating to Paul's experience of joy in suffering. And I, please, I want you to hear this, man. My goal is not to shame you, but let's not play games. And the truth is, there's probably many people in our church who need to hear this, but they're not here. You know why? Because they're hiking or camping. And again, you know, we're pro-vacation. We're all coming out of this like weird, terrible season we've been in for 16 months. So we need to be refreshed. We need to camp. So hear my heart in this. What matters is that Jesus is our chief pursuit. And at some point, we have to actually look at the fruit of our lives. We have to look at the places that we invest time, energy, money, attention, focus. And at the end of that is this throne. And on that throne is what we worship. And the problem is for most of us, it's not Jesus. That is the truth. And so we think things like, well, Paul's not really a fair comparison, right? He's Paul. He's like two clicks from Christ. Paul was a super Christian, but you know what? Paul was not a super Christian. He wasn't. He was just a guy. He's just a guy who simply ordered his life around knowing Jesus. And you and I can do the same thing. And so while we are in need of massive overhaul in our lives, in our lives, it still starts with a simple decision. And that decision 
is to know Jesus more deeply every day. That's how it starts. And so what would it look like for you to start a fresh week right now and that your goal every day is just to know Jesus a little bit more deeply that day than the day before. The reality is we can make this simple decision together. And through the simplicity of that decision, we can learn to overhaul our lives in a way that they are ordered around knowing Jesus through faith and seeing that become our highest goal in life. Will you pray with me? Father, you see the disparity between where we are and where we should be. And that disparity is not not new. It's not unique to us. It's not unique to our generation. It's not unique to our culture. There has always been this massive gap between where we are and where we need to be. And so Jesus, we thank you that you stepped into that gap. And that you perfectly gave your life to pursuit of the Father because we don't. And so we thank you that you you don't call us to make up that gap on our own. You did that for us. And now you just simply invite us, the same way you did your first disciples, to follow you. And so, Lord, that's our heart and our intent. And this comes as no surprise to you, God, but we struggle with that. But we want to follow you more faithfully. And so we ask for your Spirit's help. Lord, would you give birth to a desire inside of us to know you more deeply each day? As we saw, saw last week, you have called us to work out our, the effects of our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is you who works in us to will and to work. So God, would you give us that will, give us that desire, give us the empowering ability to begin to order our lives around you more faithfully. And, and Father, if any of us are here and realizing, even in this moment as we listen, that we are in need of massive overhaul, that our, our lives are not even like kind of ordered around you. Lord, let us sit in the weight of that and let that be okay for us to feel. And I thank you, Lord, that you, your goal is not to overwhelm us. Your word says that when we lack wisdom, that we can ask in faith and you will give it to us. And so, Lord, we ask you for the wisdom to know what does it look like for each of us order our lives around Jesus. And we know that it starts with committing our lives to knowing you more deeply each day. And so, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that not one day would go by where that's not true. That we experience you and know you more deeply each day. We ask that you would make that a reality in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.